welcome to With Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Elle Kammerer. And today we are doing our wrap-up of Northanger Abbey. Yay! Yay! We finished it last week. Yep. So if you haven't listened to uh, last week's episode, the end of the book, make sure you go back. Because we're going to talk about the book as a whole today. So you're going to want to know what happens. Yeah. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, extra spoilers. This is your warning. Go back. But uh, so this is the third Austin book that we've read for the podcast so far, which means we are about halfway through her entire collection, which is crazy because we only just reached our year marker for the podcast (laughs) (laughs) in September. So, oh, no. (laughs) Now what? (laughs) Don't worry, guys. We have lots of ideas. We're going to finish Sense and Sensibility at the end and just be like, oh, no, our podcast, it's broken. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, that's a future problem. (laughs) That's a future Ellen Katrina problem. But let's talk about Northanger Abbey as a whole. So we went into this book. We decided to read it in the fall because it's supposed to be the spooky book. Spooky. Uh, I mean, there is that very terrifying thing that happens, but most people nowadays wouldn't think it terrifying. Right. Which I was trying to, like, put that in our show notes from the last episode. The whole Catherine is sent off on her own for a, you know, 70 mile carriage trip via post. And that's, like, terrifying when you think about it. But, like, just hearing it. And not understanding the context and what that means, it doesn't seem that scary at all. It's just like, oh, she sent home, she sent alone. What? No big deal. And then you think about it and you're like, crap, that is scary. It's a big deal. Yeah. And it was really hard for me to like convey that in our show notes. <laughs> but this is Austin's quote unquote spooky book. <laughs> so we decided to read it during spooky season. <laughs> and yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised with this book. I wanted to really like it going into it because I knew that it was supposed to be the gothic novel and uh, I like spooky stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But then the more like I read about it and like what it actually is and how it isn't actually a gothic novel, it's a parody of a gothic novel. I got a little worried that I wouldn't like it as much, (laughs) but Turns out I really enjoyed it. Like I, I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed a lot of the plot. Yeah. What are your thoughts? How would you rate Northanger Abbey? Hmm. I so I had only read Northanger Abbey once and I've never seen a film adaptation, so I didn't have a ton of context for it. I read one like modern adaptation of it and I don't really remember it too too well. I I only remember like one part and then and that is I think the main character was like in Scotland and they like go someplace else in Scotland or something it has something to do with Scotland. <laughs> That's all that's coming to me. Um uh, Jump to the Future, I will be rereading that book for our adaptations for yeah, for when yeah. we get there. But so I'll get to remind myself of all the fun things that happen in that book. Um We'll find we'll get to know what happens in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm totally remembering it wrong and <laughs> Um, I liked it. I enjoy the scenes in Bath a lot. I think it's really like the back and forth and the will they, won't they. It almost felt like kind of a 
sitcom a little bit like uh yeah yeah will they get together like we don't know like it seems that way but like all this stuff keeps happening so that's kind of fun um i like when they get to the house um even though it's like at the very very end of the book and there's not a lot of stuff that takes place at the house but it's Mm -hmm. still a way for the character to like move about and like to experience new things because everything we're seeing is essentially through her eyes and what the narrator Mm -hmm. tells us so that's kind of fun and interesting and I feel like I almost feel like we don't get to see things maybe necessarily the way they actually are because we're seeing Mm -hmm. them through Catherine's point of view a lot and it's not that she's not a trustworthy character but like because she's so naive and she doesn't have a lot of experiences and she doesn't have a lot of stuff to compare to like the things she's experiencing like these new things Mm -hmm. I feel like we kind of miss out a little bit Mm -hmm. on like a lot of the in-depth of like what is actually going on and so we Mm -hmm. as readers have to kind of fill in those blanks which is kind of fun it's almost like a puzzle yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say, so Catherine is a lot different than uh the main characters we've read already, like Emma and Lizzie. And like Lizzie is very much a completely different t- a person. We've we've already kind of discussed a little bit about how Henry seems more t- there seems to be more like Lizzie Bennett than Catherine. Yeah. But uh there are certain parts about Catherine that like she shares with Emma certain aspects of herself. And I think that that's that naivete. Yeah. But whereas Emma's naivete is kind of like, she doesn't understand how like people work (laughs) necessarily or like. She wants to like be in control of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't understand that she's not in control and, and stuff like that. Catherine is her naivete is more that she just doesn't understand how anything works. Yeah. <laughs> she lives a little bit in this fantasy world in her head. Yeah. And she doesn't understand that people can be untrustworthy and bad and stuff like that. And she wants to live in this like fantasical, fantas- that's not the word, fantastical kind of worlds that she reads in these books and stuff like that. And it's, She's a very different character from the other heroines that we've yeah. read. I feel like compared to like the other ones we've read, I probably like in my teenage years, especially like preteen and stuff, I was very much a Catherine. Oh yeah. I definitely lived in my own head and like mm-hmm. wasn't I had no awareness of like a majority of things going on around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like so Catherine is only 17, mm-hmm. so she'd be in, like, high school. Yeah. And Emma is, I think, what was it, 21? Yeah. Yeah. And Lizzie... 20. Yeah, is 18, between 18 and 20 or something like that. Or was she... So, no, she was 20. solidly 20. Yeah. That's it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. younger than Jane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Lizzie is 20. Emma is 21. Wow, that's weird that Emma's the oldest one we've read so far. Wow. Um, oh, <laughs> and wait Catherine... till we get to Persuasion. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. I, we'll get there. And then Catherine is 17. She's she's a little baby. Yeah. But, uh, like, I, I thinking back at, thinking back about me at 17 in high school and everything like that, like, 
No, I was I was definitely a Catherine. Yeah. Uh, living in my own little head, yeah. reading books and wishing I was just living yeah. in those books yep. instead of living in the real world because mm-hmm. it was just so much easier to live in books. Yep. I had the full Hogwarts experience, you guys. Like, I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. I went to Transfiguration every day. I was sitting in math class, but I went. <laughs> Except the fact that the last book hadn't come out while we were in high school. Yeah. But there was enough of it out that I I knew. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it was the fifth or sixth one came out senior year. I don't really I want to say it was the fifth one, but that's not the point. That's not the point. The this point is... is we definitely were, like, just yeah. looking at my high school diaries, I'm just like, oh, my God, I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> So here's the thing, like, uh, we were like Catherine when we were in high school, but we didn't have to learn and grow as quickly as Catherine does because Catherine is put in a situation where she has to learn and grow quite quickly. And I think that at the end of the book, Catherine, she, she sees that the, like people can be good and bad at the same time. And somebody who presents themselves as good isn't always going to be good and somebody who presents themselves as bad isn't always going to be bad kind mm-hmm. of a situation she learns that because that's not something she was used to before right but i think if Catherine were to look back at her own experience i don't think she would be like oh my gosh i'm so naive i hate myself why did i do that <laughs> i think that she would kind of be like you know like oh look at how silly i was and stuff like that you right. know right but she's not as quite quite as removed from the situation at the end of the book. That's but true. And I feel like the concept of cringe wasn't as strong back then as it is today. <laughs> well, let's talk about growth, because that is actually one of the critiques we had of Emma, was mm-hmm. that we didn't see a lot of growth in Emma. So compared to um, Catherine's growth in the story... Have the other characters that we've read so far shown as much growth or not as much growth? Or how do you think that that's compared? Yeah, I think Catherine does grow. I don't think we get to see the full process of the growth because like the ending happens so quick and we're just kind of told things. Yeah, it's very much heavy in the narration part at the end of the book. Yeah, so... We don't get to see, we know Catherine gets married to Henry Tilney, but we don't get to see the wedding. We don't have, like, kind of a postscript. Like, I feel like at the end of Pride and Prejudice, there was just, like, a little bit, like, you knew what the daughters were up to after mm-hmm. they got their men, right? You mm-hmm. you got a little synopsis. Um, with Emma, you know, you, you know, like, before they get married, oh, the plan is that um, he's going to move in with Emma and her father. So you kind of know what's gonna happen with this you don't really you just assume that she Mm -hmm. goes off to woodson and she's then a pastor's wife right Mm -hmm. but you don't you don't know like the full effect of it and like when you're comparing like the tilneys and the moorlands and like in terms of class and like that kind of stuff that's changing and all the conflict there's really no conflict resolution like we're Mm -hmm. told that things are fixed and everything's fine but we don't see it and we don't know how it affects the other players in the book. And maybe that's just because they're not as prominent in mm-hmm. the story. But yeah, it just, I feel like it ends really quick. And maybe that's just because this is her first novel. 
that mm-hmm. she had actually finished. Um, so maybe she didn't get the chance to develop it as much as she would have wanted. Or maybe she did. I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of abrupt. And I almost wish there were just like a few more pages. Just, yeah. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that we get in the film adaptations of Pride and Prejudice and a little bit in the book is what happens to the, how do I want to put this? Well, essentially what happens to Lydia, mm-hmm. you know, she's married, but it's, she's not quite that happy. And I can see how Isabella is kind of like the Lydia of this book. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't see what happens to her at the no. end. And it's kind of sad. I kind of wanted to know more about what happens to her or even John. Yeah, me too. Or James. Yeah. Or (laughs) General Tilney or, you know, I just, I want to know. I want to know if he comes around. Like, I want to know if, like, he, like, realizes, like, all the stuff that John Thorpe said to him. And, like, if he has, like, harsh feelings against John Thorpe, you know, at some point. Yeah. I would really like to see the downfall of John Thorpe. Yeah. Yeah. So well so let's talk more about what we didn't care for about this book. <laughs> um, I think the the shortness of the end is definitely something. Um yeah. the fact that it just kind of is abrupt. Um didn't care so much for that compared to the other novels. Now, I'm not like if I'm looking at this just as a whole, like I'm okay with it. I like how it ends, but I think that that's put so much on the narrator because I love the narrator of this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but compared to the other books, yeah, like that is a like a downside of it. But like, what else? What else would you have changed about this book? What else did you not care for? That's really it. I just want to know what happens to these other characters. Like, I I want to know. If James gets a happy ending, I want to know how the Tilneys and the Morelands reconcile, like, after they're finally able to get married. I want to know what happened with Isabella and John Thorpe. Like, it's just too many unknowns. (laughs) I think that's the scariest part of this book is, like, there's so many unknowns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I wanted more of the like gothic novel aspect. And I understand again that this is a parody and there are just like two places where she really makes fun of the gothic novel specifically. And I kind of wanted more of that, but this book is part parody of a sentimental novel, part parody of a gothic novel. And I kind of wish that it was more of a parody of a gothic novel. Mm Mm-hmm. I wanted more of those little incidents where Catherine is just like, oh my goodness, I'm in a gothic novel. Look at this. And then she's just like, oh no, this is stupid. (laughs) Like she has the one instance in her room and then she has the one instance in Mrs. Tilney's room. And I just kind of wish that there was like another one somewhere like while she's there and kind of maybe fleshed out her time at the Abbey more so that it was kind of similar to her time at Bath because that we got fleshed out really well. But the time at the actual abbey is kind of not as fleshed out as i would have hoped especially for a novel where that is the name of the novel you know yeah so what we're just let's just end this on a positive (laughs) for the overall novel what were your top two favorite things about this novel um i love how dastardly john thorpe is he's oh wow i didn't think that (laughs) 
I love that. I like he's just a nasty character, and I feel like he has no redeeming qualities. Um, so I really I like that when you can have because Catherine does learn like oh not all bad not all good right but I feel like John Thorpe is like subverts that where like he is all bad um so I like that juxtaposition I think Catherine's learning of not all bad not all good is that I I think that kind of comes more from General Tildy because it does kind of want to paint him as the villain but that's like no that's not necessarily the case I yeah (laughs) John Thorpe is just bad news bears just terrible um and then i just love how adorable henry tilney is he's wonderful he's he is my austin boyfriend yep wow my austin boyfriend not my austin husband oh okay he's my austin boyfriend my austin husband obviously is colonel brandon (laughs) which well i'll get into that when we get to sensibility Yes, it is heavily influenced by the actor. Sorry. Okay. Go I was ahead. just gonna say this is the same woman whose favorite character is also Severus Snape. It's not my so favorite So it makes character. me think that it's actually Alan Rickman. Rickman. <laughs> Rest in peace. R.I.P. I love you, Alan. Anyway, uh, so I also just love Henry. Mm-hmm. Henry Tilney. I love him so much. He's so adorable and sweet and just like doesn't give a fuck that his girlfriend is just like living in her own imagination (laughs) he's just like i accept this (laughs) i'm okay with it and also the idea that like how they kind of like fall for each other isn't like oh my goodness he she took my breath away and he took my breath away no it's like they they got together and they slowly started to like each other and the fact that they started slowly liking each other actually helped them fall in love with each other even more because they knew the other person liked them. And it's just so cute. This is like the best love story. It's so adorable. I love it so much. Yeah. My second favorite thing is the freaking narrator. <laughs> so sassy. She is so freaking sassy <laughs> and just threw me completely off guard when I started reading the book. Because it's just like, oh, yeah, my heroine this, and I'm going to talk about this, and oh, I shouldn't write about this, but I'm gonna, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I love this narrator so much. (laughs) So. Nice. Well, you wanted to talk about gothic novels specifically, because this is the only time we're really going to get to talk about that. Yeah. So. I feel like, because when we go through the novel, you, like, start to realize it's not scary at all. Um, No. So I just really wanted to like go over general gothic novel tropes and see where there was a nod to a gothic Mm -hmm. novel trope and then where it's completely subverted and turned on its head. Okay. So I used a couple different places online just to like get a list of tropes. Um, So one of them looks like Honestly, it looks like college notes that a professor typed up. I'm not lying. It's a PDF. (laughs) It's called Elements of the Gothic Novel, and it's by Robert Harris. Um, So that was the first thing. And if you just Google, like, gothic novel tropes, it's, like, the second thing that pops up. And the other one was um, a blog post. Um, Also, same thing, like, 10 Elements of Gothic Literature. This was published by Annabelle O'Connor Fenton back in 2019 and I feel like one or the other used the other's things (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like when I went through 
other things like sometimes they were the top five sometimes there was like 15 or 20 like mm-hmm. they they all kind of fell under these 10 categories between these two things that that I was reading so I just mm-hmm. stuck with them and just double checked them off of other sites okay okay so we're just gonna go in order there's no special order this is just how I wrote them down so so it's Katrina's special order. It's Got it. It's my special order. <laughs> um, all right. So the first trope is that it's set in a haunted castle or a haunted house. And what's specific about it is that there could be some dark ancestral curse. There's feelings of either awe or isolation. And then the home itself is medieval in architecture and has, like, mm-hmm. turrets and, like, very ornate carvings and things like that. Um, maybe elements of, like, religious things, right? If you're thinking, like, right. medieval architecture. Okay? Mm-hmm. So comparing this to Northanger Abbey, obviously we're in an abbey. And there yeah. are elements of, like, medieval architecture mm-hmm. there it's just like in the kitchens right it's not like right. that exciting yeah. or it's ruins or like the there's impressions but they're like not really there because the place has been remodeled so like mm-hmm. when we're talking about like the cells right you can yeah. see the impressions of where they were but it's uh, it's yeah they're not really there anymore right right well so that's one of the things when uh like English families would get these old abbeys and they would uh, convert them into these grand homes. Mm-hmm. So like Donwell Abbey was probably very similar in the, you know, in style and stuff. But yeah, so that check that box. Yep. And if we're going to talk about haunted while Northanger Abbey isn't haunted, there is still this familial mystery, quote yes. unquote, with 100%. Mrs. Tilney's death. 100%. So I just feel like the setting like, that's something that was turned on its head. Like, yeah. there's a nod, but it was completely turned on its head. So you don't get, like, the spookiness and, like, the yeah. old factor. It's just, like, it's just a normal house that just happens to be an abbey. But... Right. Well, because that's a thing. In Gothic novels, uh, these places, or these things take place, yeah, in old castles or possibly maybe in an old abbey, but it's not going to be remodeled and refurbished yeah exactly it's gonna be like falling down to crevice it's yeah, gonna be it's Dracula. gonna be like think dracula's castle right yeah like yeah. that's that's the vibes you're getting here mm-hmm. what it does do however is like when you're looking at the home you're either feeling awed by it or you're feeling mm-hmm. isolated by it usually the heroine is and like Catherine, her awe is subverted like she wants it to be grander or like older or whatever whatever she has built up in her mind she wants it to be more Mm -hmm. however in terms of isolation like she's around the family but I feel like Eleanor is the isolated character because she is like there her mom's gone she's just with her dad she doesn't get out much so I feel like Eleanor has that isolated quality because she's the one that's there all the time and she Mm -hmm. knows the place Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. And there's a couple of places where it's like, oh, this checks for Eleanor. And I was like, maybe Eleanor's in the Gothic novel. And like, maybe we need Eleanor's point of view in a Gothic <laughs> format. Can somebody write this, please? And thank you. <laughs> well, so I could see how you could like make the argument that 
Catherine is also isolated just because she's not a member of the Tilney family. Mm -hmm. And she's the only person there who isn't. So she doesn't know the whole story. So that kind of makes her isolated in that sense. But then there's also, and this is just my opinion, the fact that she's isolated in her imagination. Yes. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Now I feel like maybe I should have uh, written about this book for our junior colloquial or colloquium (laughs) class about uh, unreliable narrators. (laughs) Moving on. So the next trope that I have is atmosphere of mystery and suspense. So there is a threatening feeling that is dominating the overall tone. Mm -hmm. The plot is built around mystery and that mystery is either generally unknown parentage disappearance, family secrets, and then there are objects that the heroine encounters, such as a flickering candle, vaults, or tombs, or crypts, things of that nature. Okay. Okay. So, for Northanger Abbey, I mentioned Mrs. Tilney's rooms build suspense, and they Mm -hmm. also suggest the family secret, and it's also symbolic of a tomb, in a way, because it hasn't been changed. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to know your thoughts. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Mrs. Tilney's death is definitely the mystery. And while Catherine sees it more as a mystery because General Tilney was like, oh, don't show her those rooms. It was really, it wasn't don't show her those rooms because I don't want her to find out the mystery. It was more don't show her those rooms because they're not that nice. Mm -hmm. But like Catherine doesn't get that like, Eleanor wanted to show her the room so if there had been a mystery then Eleanor wouldn't have wanted to show her the room right you know yeah yeah so she builds this mystery because she's not really paying that much attention or because she wants the mystery to be there so and the same thing with like the flickering candle or something like that like the reason why she had a flickering candle is because bitch was using a tallow candle yeah <laughs> I wrote that on my note card I was like chest cabinet tallow candle yeah yeah uh so she adds this whole like mystery and like kind of like creepy feeling because she used the wrong candle and she's not reading context clues yes (laughs) she's not reading the room yes exactly (laughs) yeah so again i just feel like this one was definitely like a nod to it because yeah there Mm -hmm. is like a bit Mm -hmm. of mystery because even we as readers are like yeah what's the deal with the wife why is he so weird like what's up with general tilney Mm -hmm. so like i feel like this is one that was like a nod to it mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. just but some parts of it are turned on the head like the objects yes yeah. yeah 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 the the fact that the objects didn't turn into anything yes yeah yeah but i i can see why austin didn't just full-on flip this one over because it does build the suspense that she needed to keep the story going anyway yep so yeah uh next one is ancient prophecy slash ghost and monster so there were a couple of different ones between those two um Mm -hmm. articles or things that i read so i i feel i felt like these ones went well together so ancient prophecy generally is obscure or confusing it's something along the lines of oh there was once a man and he died here and now he haunts the place right that's the Mm -hmm. prophecy and then ghost and monster it can sometimes be literal like Mm -hmm. Frankenstein's monster like Dracula you know it could be like a literal manifestation of something that's scary or it can be um build up of a person's imagination to the point Mm -hmm. where they like terrify themselves um 
So, yeah. So, I don't think, obviously, there's anything literal in Northanger Abbey, but she is definitely influenced by books and naivete. So, I mm-hmm. felt like that kind of felt like the ghost monster fear connection. Like, Yeah, yeah. She's, like, or what she's read has been built up in her own mind enough to where she is being scared by a chest and a tallow candle. <laughs> <laughs> Or the idea that there's this mystery, you know, she's being, she's scaring herself because of what she's read. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. Uh, That was kind of a short one. Next one is omens and visions and then dreams and nightmares. So generally when you have a gothic novel, dreams are used as plot devices and they're Mm -hmm. meant to like showcase like the fears of the heroine. Mm -hmm. And then often you will get premonitions like the heroine will have either thoughts of things about to come or something will happen in the novel itself that is kind of foreshadowing to a terrible event that is about to occur and usually it has to do with like death or somebody being Mm -hmm. killed Mm -hmm. um so again Catherine doesn't really experience with the experience this one so I feel like the previous these two the one I just talked about in this one they're kind of just like nodded to because she doesn't get enough sleep Mm -hmm. enough to like have dreams like and when she does sleep it seems like there she has dreamless sleep because it's really peaceful or she just doesn't sleep at all because she's you know built up stuff in her head that she's yeah scared well and also Austin doesn't really use dreams yeah so that makes sense that she wouldn't really dive into that Mm-hmm. So, and then there's no kind of like omens. Yeah. Uh, she just gets like an uneasy feeling around General Tilney, but I mean, that I think comes that with that goes with the previous. Oh, oh, I yeah. was gonna say, but then there's also that builds into the fact that she's building up this fear. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. So then we have um supernatural events and death, which again, mm-hmm. there's just like nods to it, like with the death of Miss Tilney. Um, but mm-hmm. basically supernatural events would be like paintings coming to life or a suit mm-hmm. of armor attacking you, right? That's mm-hmm. crazy. Um, death, and this was really interesting. Um, one of the articles that I read talked about how like death, specifically the death of a woman is like very key in these. Um, and like women's bodies convey like beauty with tragedy so like there was like an obsession of with like dead women's bodies I guess in gothic novels because they're supposed to be beautiful but they're dead and isn't that tragic right it's like okay calm down gothic see because I would think (laughs) I would think that the reason why they would focus on dead women is because they're focusing on the heroine and the heroine is going to connect more with a dead female character than a dead male character and I feel like that's true also but like there is specifically lines like even there's like a quote by Edgar Allan Poe about like the beauty and the tragedy of like dead women's bodies was like oh man what's wrong (sighs) with you um but also death within it conveys to the reader a sense of mortality which is Mm -hmm. terrifying to many people so we get that with like mrs tilney being dead but she's long dead she Mm -hmm. she's not like murdered in the like at all well she's not murdered at all let's be real yeah but like (laughs) 
you know she doesn't die within the context of the novel exactly. and we don't see anything of her so like we don't see a tomb we don't see a body right. we, we barely see a painting yeah and that was the thing is like there's only one portrait of her and yeah. it doesn't really look like her but like this portrait doesn't come to life and there's no spirits or specters involved so again mm-hmm. this just kind of like felt like a nod like there's mm-hmm. death that's disgust but it's not disgust in a gothic way or it doesn't have like gothic overtones attached to that death with the exception mm-hmm. of what Catherine puts on it yeah 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 right. this one i feel like is a turn on the head but i'll, okay. I'll let me see what you okay. think okay. so okay. the next trope is emotions are always running high mm-hmm. so like gothic novels are very melodramatic mm-hmm. um it implies that there is impending doom that is coming often the heroine's nerves are like pushed to their limit they might be raw she has emotional outbursts that are just completely inconsolable because she is so terrified all the time and then with the melodrama that is where things like murder kidnapping and being driven insane come in so those kind of like plot devices so i felt like this was like a turn on the head because so, let's be real the kidnapping is like and i put in my nose kidnapping light <laughs> like, well, she's brought back yeah yeah so it's like i can see how Catherine has these high emotions because she gets so stressed out about like when she's in bath and not meeting the Tilneys because you know she doesn't want to hurt other people's feelings and that mm-hmm. comes a lot from the fact that you know, she's not used to having people around and stuff like that. But I don't think it ever drives her mad. No. Because it's always like, she's always worried about how other people are going to see her. And then when people respond in a positive way, she calms down. Yeah. So. And that's what I put here because I say that Catherine, like with her emotions, like hers tend to be embarrassment. And like she puts herself in these situations where she is humbled Mm -hmm. and it's distressing to her but she gets over it quickly and she's able to make amends with people so it's not like she's inconsolable and then yeah it's like her emotions get really high but they don't stay that way they don't stay high they then come back down yeah so that's why i felt like this was kind of like a turn on the head yeah because you can see like when you're reading it you're like oh her emotions are getting really high oh my gosh it's amping up it's amping up and then it's just like Oh, okay. Yep. Everything's back to normal. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Because it's it's almost like Austin's like, here, we're going to go down this road. Here, we're almost there to high emotions. And hey, we're going this way instead. <laughs> also, I have a note here, and I don't know why I wrote this, and I, I don't remember my train of thought, but I have an arrow next to emotion runs high, and then I have general Tilney question mark. Well, yeah, like I was, I, I was starting to make that connection, too, because he is stressed out throughout the whole yeah. novel. Because... He needs to impress Catherine because she think he thinks she has a lot of money, so his emotions are running really high. Yeah, and then he does something irrational. Yeah, so he is he is like the heroine in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. and also just the way he acts in general, where like he has to be in control of everything, and when things don't go his way, he's not like having an emotional outburst, but he does have an outburst. He'll, he will have, like, an outburst, or he will say something. He won't let things go, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So he felt a little, like, 
maybe not completely melodramatic, but just like a little bit of a drama queen. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Especially after he sends Catherine home. Yeah. Or that whole, the whole fact that he did that. Yeah. Is very melodramatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Our next big one, and this is definitely a turn on the head, is the damsel in distress. Oh. It's yeah. very big in gothic novels because generally in a gothic novel, the lead is female. Mm-hmm. I can't think of one where the lead really isn't. I mean,. Frankenstein we know is more romantic well and I don't know if Frankenstein falls under that category exactly that's why I was like so, so. yeah because Frankenstein I mean it's more of like the first science fiction Dracula? novel Mina is the main character Mina, yeah but I mean Harker is a big deal and I don't know I was just trying well to- so you have to remember when Harker or he yeah we get a lot of his point of view yeah. but while we have his point of view we also have the other girl yeah that's true so, I can't remember I what her I was just is. going through. Like, they gave, like, examples like Udolfo and mm-hmm. Rebecca and stuff in what I read. And those are obviously all main lead female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so, yes. Yeah, so, lead character is a female. She faces terrifying things that, like, cause her to faint or to scream or to react very big. Um, she is likely trapped someplace and she is pursued by a the, the exact wording in the article was sadistic aristocrat <laughs> or sorry sadistic aristocrat um i, I like aristocrat better a sadistic aristocrat <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> thinking of giant cats now okay a sadistic aristocrat, which I mean, yeah. Um, and then typically she is, she has always been lonely. She's always been on her own from even a young age before, like the events of the novel have led her here. Um, so, yeah, so in a way, like Catherine, you know, she's pursued by General Tilney for mm-hmm. her son. So, like, mm-hmm. he's not sadistic, but like, she is pursued no, by No, but him. he's still creepy. Like, he's still I, again. Creepy. Yeah. I threw out the novel, like, or once he was really introduced, I was like, is he, like, looking at her for himself? Like, what yeah. the fuck? He's being a creep. I know. Um, but the parts where I was, like, lightly, or sorry, the parts where I was, like, oh, likely trapped, oh, lonely, I was like, here's Eleanor again ticking a box, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damsel in distress, it's a big one. Um, All right, and now we're on to our last one, which is just the overall tone constantly Mm -hmm. is gloom and horror. There is never a break of, like, calmness or rationality. Like, it is just gloom and doom the whole time. Generally, there is rain or very bad weather throughout, and this is, like, indicating, one, the character's sorrow, but also the sense that they don't have any control over the situation. Mm Mm-hmm. And it does storm in Northanger Abbey, but mm-hmm. we also need to remember that this is England, and it's, like, generally <laughs> damp there, and again, it's not... Well... It's all just a buildup of scary things in her brain. Well, so Austin actually uses this trope very wisely in this book, because every time 
Catherine's emotions do get the best of her and she kind of gets into this terror, whether it's because she's going or she's not going to be able to go on a walk with the Tilneys or because she's approaching the Abbey or she finds this chest in her room. It's usually raining and storming or mm-hmm. something like that at those times because it she wants to get you into the mindset of this is scary. So I'm going to have it rain yeah. <laughs> and just add that to Catherine, who's like, oh, my gosh, it always rains and is doom and gloom in these novels. And now it's happening in my real life right now. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, so yeah. I felt like the tone was definitely a turn on the head because like. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because weather, the rest of the book is happens, all like perfectly happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So those are it. Those are all the tropes that I had that generally you see in Gothic novels. There there might be more that mm-hmm. are like subcategories off the ones that I said, or there could be like ones that might be worded a little differently based on like yeah. what I came across. But like that's the general idea. Mm-hmm. And obviously they're going to shift and change depending on what Gothic novel, who wrote it, when it was written, if it was English or German. Right. But yeah, so depending on what gothic novel it is. Well, and it also depends on, like, what the author is trying to get across. Because, again, in the one that I found that was by um, Robert Harris, he has this extra bullet point about, like, vocabulary that's Mm, used in gothic mm -hmm. novels. And he categorizes them by, like, your overall, I guess, theme or I mm-hmm. guess your overall feeling. So like words that are associated with Gothic novels that are going to lead to a mystery or ones that oh, show fear or terror okay. or like anger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, again, these are like things that you can, you can have them in one Gothic novel, all of these different like elements or, you know, maybe it just puts itself like. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he used a few examples like the castle of, a Toronto, and then he also used like um, a Sherlock Holmes film because film also mm-hmm. these trips like translate to like gothic film and horror films as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. So I thought it was really interesting. So keep an eye out for like certain vocabulary, and that can like tip you off. Like, oh, yeah. this might be this thing. The linguistics part of me really wants to look more into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so now that we've discussed the book a lot and the tropes let's get you our favorite part of finishing an austin novel which is our superlatives because superlatives are great for fictional people but not real people correct so we're just gonna start off on brand on theme with who is most likely to survive a horror novel slash film yep i'm going first yeah you're going first okay um it's obviously Henry Tilney, and I That's thought good. I thought really seriously about this, and I went through like who's are the types of people who survive like horror things, and like generally, yes, it is a woman. However, I don't feel like any of the women in yeah. this world would have survived like like even the most like tame of like horror movies. Like mm-hmm. no, no, it's Henry Tilney. It's one hundred percent Henry Tilney. Yeah. I see him as like, like we've talked about this, how he's like Austin's other female hair, like female characters, but a guy, I kind of took that the same way. Like he is, he's, he's more like a female main character in a horror movie than a male main character. Yeah. So he's going to survive. <laughs> I feel like, you know, and if it was like 
the slasher kind, like, he would be seeing, like, people that he, that he loves, like, being slowly ticked off to the point where mm-hmm. he would just be, like, horrified by this, but he would have to get out. He would have to mm-hmm. survive. He would have mm-hmm. to, like, tell what had happened. And originally when I was thinking about this, I was like, maybe Mr. Allen could survive, but I'm like, no, Mr. Allen's too old. He would definitely die, but Mr. Allen would make it almost to the end. So do you remember that horror slash slasher film that had Paris Hilton in it? Yes, that's the last one I watched, House of Wax. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I don't remember. It's I House just know that Wax. she was in it and she was killed. That would be Mrs. Allen. That would be Mrs. <laughs> However Allen. Paris Hilton was killed in that film oh, is how Mrs. Allen I would know die. <laughs> how she was because sometimes I see it behind my eyes before I'm falling asleep and it's just so disturbing to me. <laughs> like I saw that movie when it came out in theaters over 10 years ago and yet I can still picture it so vividly. I don't watch horror films for this reason. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to the most changed. Yes, most changed. Um, You go first this time. I put Catherine. Oh, I mean. Oh, you yeah, did it? I felt that way. Well, yeah. I had Catherine for something else and then we got rid of it. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So I will just say this. We kind of like avoided couples one uh, superlatives on this one because there's really only the one couple and not a lot of good people to ship in this one. So we kind of avoided that. There's a lot of family stuff here. There's really only three families. So it's kind of kind of weird. So, yeah. So who did you put? I put Eleanor because she gets okay, out, okay. she gets, you know, she gets a title, she's with the man she loves, she gets to her place. I feel like by the end of the novel, even though we don't know that she is the most strange, she's the reason why Catherine Henry can get married, so. I like that one. I, I, uh, I put her for a different one. But you know what, if now, if I were to go back, now that we got rid of a couple categories, I would put Catherine as the most changed. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So here's one of my favorite ones. Uh, the person who really doesn't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you ready? I think we have the same. I, I, we probably do. Who is it? Is it Mr. Allen? It's Mr. It's Allen. It's Mr. Allen. <laughs> he doesn't care. He's he, just like, can I go play cards now? <laughs> he come, He drops by and gives some like baller advice. And then he's yep. like, peace out. I'm going to go. <laughs> He gives some good advice and that everybody's like, where have you been the entire book? Because this shit has been happening. And had you been here, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> but he doesn't want to be there. <laughs> no, that's which why is he's why he's not there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why he's not there. Oh, hilarious. So. Okay. Um, next category is best all around. Again, I think we have the same one. Not necessarily. Um, because I. You didn't double up. I did not double up. No, I I did not double up. I really wanted to, but I didn't. I put Eleanor for this one. Oh, uh, she is Because I love her. <laughs> I mean, if I still had, if I, cause if, so if Eleanor is my most changed, then best all around is definitely, well, no, screw it. I don't care. Henry Tell Me is the best all around. Fight me. He also survives the horror novel. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree with you. I'm not saying I, I I had Henry for a different one, so I didn't I didn't give him best all around. I I like Eleanor. I think that she, yeah, you know, she's a good friend. She's chill. She's just trying to have as much of a good life as she can. Yeah, she feels very Bingley to me, and yeah. I think that that's why I gave her best all around because I gave 
Bingley best all around. So yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Who is your most opinionated? All right. My most opinionated is Mrs. Thorpe because she's the one that oh, like okay. drops okay. like some hints to Isabella once they find out like how much money she can get. And like, I feel like she's always telling Mrs. Allen this and that and like sharing her ideas. I feel like she's most opinionated, even though she's not in it that much. I feel like she's the most opinionated. I put John Thorpe. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, he totally yeah. is, but I had him for something else. So. Yeah, no, John Thorpe is the most opinionated. He is the worst. Yeah. And I wanted to put him for at least three other ones, <laughs> but I didn't. I found other people. And actually, this next category, I wanted to put him down. And I'll explain why I didn't, because I feel like it's an important thing. So, Okay. Our next category is least likely to succeed. Well, I did put John Thorpe for least likely to succeed because okay. he doesn't get Catherine. He doesn't get um, James to marry his sister. He, even though he tries to screw up Catherine's relationship with Henry Tilney, he still ultimately in the end fails. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily his doing that he fails, but even but he wanted that and he didn't get it. So I mm-hmm. feel like he's least likely to succeed. So, again, I wanted to put him down for this one because, yes, he doesn't succeed in the book. However, I'm also thinking outside of the book. And he is more likely to succeed than most people because he is a man. He mm-hmm. has, like, status. He has these connections he's making. And while, yeah, he's kind of blowing them up left and right, especially with Kept, or, uh, General Tilney, he's still more likely to succeed than other people. And that sure. really pissed me off because it's just, like, cishet white dude privilege. And it yeah. pisses me off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I didn't put him down. And along those same lines, this is, like, because John Thorpe is John Thorpe and he's going to succeed because he's a white man. I put Isabella's youngest sister, the one that he made fun of who because she's quote-unquote ugly, as least likely to succeed because she isn't a conventional beauty and she has to compete with her sisters who are. Yeah. So out of all of the people in the book that we've we have as characters... I think she is least likely to succeed because of her status and it's really sad and I hate it. But really sad. Yeah, it yeah. is. And it's, I'm just going to blame John Thorpe because <laughs> he's an <laughs> asshole and he keeps putting her down. So yeah, yeah it's his fault. So yeah. it's his fault, but that's, that's not who I'm going to put on. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to put a star on this one and say that we both agree that John Thorpe is the worst. Yeah, he's the worst. He, he wins the worst overall. Um, all right, most likely to be a serial killer. This is like our favorite. <laughs> this is our favorite one. This but is the problem is, one. the problem is, is that the only clergy we have in this one is Henry, That's and we true. Ha- we have not. a long history of putting the clergy well, members as serial and killers. And Catherine's dad, but he oh. doesn't seem serial killery to me either. No, so no. obviously, it's General Tilney. Oh really? Yeah, he is, like seems very like creepy. I actually sus. didn't put General Tilney down, but it makes sense. He is very sus. And, like, even Catherine's very sus of him. And, like, he does some things that are questionable. And it's like, you could potentially kill someone. I could see it. I put Mrs. Allen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tell me why. I put Mrs. Allen because nobody will suspect her. (laughs) (laughs) 
she's sitting there playing dumb just talking about gloves and skirts and stuff when really she's like sitting there like scoping people out waiting to see who her next victim is (laughs) and mr allen all over again and mr allen is always out doing his own thing what is mrs allen doing we don't know probably killing people (laughs) i love this category i know Okay, who's our biggest gossip? Mrs. Allen's the biggest gossip. She's always talking about what somebody's wearing and what someone's doing. I think she's the biggest gossip. Uh, Isabella. Like, but come I on. something else. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Isabella is just sitting there like, ooh, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Look at those two men over there looking at us. It's all mysterious, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say it really loud, even though they're right there and talk about how creepy they are. It's weird. Okay, so if you... Oh, wait, did you put Isabella for this next one? I did. It's okay. the biggest flirt, guys. Yeah. <laughs> of course, she's a big flirt. I put Captain Tilney. <laughs> yes. He is also a big flirt. Yep. I feel like I did these categories too fast. I should have thought about them a little bit more. Yeah, all clearly. All because makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because Mrs. Allen is a serial killer. No. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she's going to come and kill you next because you don't believe in her. <laughs> Go stand in the bathroom with the lights off and say, Mrs. Allen, Mrs. Allen, like three times into the mirror. (laughs) She comes in wearing something completely gorgeous and just like taking delicately taking off her gloves like, oh, I don't want to get those dirty. And then hikes up her skirts. Oh, can't get that in the blood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is what happens when we don't have clergy members to put down as serial killers. Because we obviously have religious trauma that we haven't worked through yet. (laughs) What? I didn't grow up Catholic and go to church three times a week when I was a child. What are you talking about? That never happened. It actually legitimately didn't happen for me, but that's not the point. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. so those are our superlatives. Woo, we did it. Yeah, we will be putting them up on... uh, instagram for you guys to vote on but i'm gonna actually wait to do that until after we watch the adaptation because there's only like the one adaptation so i have to pull images right from that to use on instagram you guys so i'm gonna wait until after we watch that so then i don't have like random spoilers about you know certain things on, yeah. uh, for the adaptation so totally it'll be sense. a hot minute but they will be up for you guys to vote. And uh, obviously I'm going to put up some more like suggestions. If there's some more superlatives you guys want us to see. Yeah. yeah. Yay. But our next episode, I believe Katrina and tell me if I am wrong, because you always do is our adaptation, <laughs> our film adaptation. episode. Yes. Film adaptation is next. Mm-hmm. And then after regular film adaptation for funsies, we're watching Crimson Peak. For funsies. For funsies. So- AKA to help to help Elle's little obsession. So our Crimson Peak episode, just like it probably won't be that long, but you know what? Who knows? It could be a full episode. I'm anticipating it being a short one, but then again, this wasn't my idea. 
It was just because I wanted to have fun with the trailer. And then Katrina (laughs) goes and watches it. And now she wants to do an episode. And I'm like, okay, I'll watch it because I really want to watch Tom Hiddleston again. (laughs) So we are going to watch it. We will. I live. I like. I didn't really. I don't. I didn't live tweet it because I don't have Twitter. (laughs) But in my little notes app on my iPhone, I pretended like I was live tweeting while I was watching it. And I typed down all of the things that popped into my head throughout the whole movie. And I just really want to share them with you all. So if you're a fan of Crimson Peak, if you're a fan of Guillermo del Toro, if you're a fan of Ghosts, watch it. So that you know what the fuck I'm talking about. (laughs) Or if you're a fan of Tom Hiddleston like myself, you can watch it. Just remember it is a horror film because that was the one reason why I wasn't going to watch it. And then I did. (laughs) I saw it in the theaters, guys. (laughs) And I hate horror movies. (laughs) As someone who does not watch horror movies because, yes, they are absolutely terrified. And, like, I can't even, I can't handle, I can't handle um, this wasn't that bad. No, it's really not. It's 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 a gorgeous film. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll talk about that because that's actually probably what I'm going to talk and gush about the most is how gorgeous the film is. Yes. Okay. So so look out for those two episodes coming up. So first we'll be Northanger Abbey film and then we'll do a quick Crimson Peak and then we'll jump into our book adaptations. Yeah. Yay. Adaptation time. Yay. Woo. Okay. Well. That is all for us this week. We will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Elle Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at withbeyondmeasure.com. Or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBM Podcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBM Podcast.